podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from, while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block, allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable, hosted by Kevin DeVries, on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast. Today is Wednesday. It is the 15th of November. I am recording this on the 14th of November because I'm unavailable on the 15th. I also won't be here on the 16th. So as you're listening to this on Wednesday, I won't be here Thursday. Um, Recording on Tuesday ahead of time to talk about because it's Nostalgia Day, and I didn't want to miss Nostalgia Day. I don't mind missing Questions Day so much, but I love me some nostalgia. So today, simple focus, 90s Premier League strikers. Because what a batch we had. Some we'll never see the like of again. We'll never see the like of them again. So we're going to go from the first year of the Premier League 92, 93, up to 98, 99, 
We'll go through the top scorers and we'll talk about a few of them. So we can start off 92-93. There'll be no news. There'll be no gossip. I'll stop for a break at some point because they have to put in the ads and then we'll we'll rattle on. This won't be a long pod, hopefully. Famous last words. It is me. It'll be four hours. So settle in, get yourself a cup of tea and let's go. First of all, 92-93. The Premier League Golden Boot, the first one ever, is awarded to Teddy Sheringham, who started the season with Nottingham Forest and ended up at Tottenham, scored 22 goals that season. Teddy Sheringham was a really, really uh, a skilled player. A skilled player. Like, Teddy Sheringham, had he been... Italian or Spanish or Dutch would probably be more highly regarded now than he was back then. He had very little pace, but he just had this great intelligence and ability to always be in the right spot. He was a lovely passer of the ball as well. And his partnership later in his career with, um, what was the guy's name? Chris Armstrong. Chris Armstrong at Tottenham was a lot of fun. So he began his career with with Millwall, played there for eight years, then went to Forest, had two seasons with them. No, one season and a bit with them. And then he joined Spurs, uh, jumping off the sinking ship that was Nottingham Forest. Played for Spurs till 97 and then joined United. I always liked Teddy Sheringham and I always thought, if Liverpool could have found a young Teddy Sheringham to go with Michael Owen, that would have been the ideal pairing. Like, Burkamp henri esque He wasn't as good as Burkamp, didn't have Burkamp's level of creative genius, but he was really creative. He was super intelligent. Great technical ability. Similar to Berbatov in a lot of ways. Could play as a nine, but was better off the nine. And when you look at his career with Millwall, 16 and 50, these are just his last five years there, 16 and 50, uh, 24 in 51, 15 in 40, 12 and 37, 38 in 55. Now, of those six years, four of them are in the second division. He scored the, the 15 and 12 seasons. They are top flight seasons. That was after he'd established himself. Then he gets his move to Nottingham Forest, and in his one full season there, he scores 22 goals in 59 games. The following season, he starts well, scores one goal in three games before getting his move to for- to Spurs, where he goes 28 and 47, 21 and 38 in the league. So in the league that year, 22 goals in 41 games. He continued to perform at a really high level for Spurs. He did miss a bunch of time the next season with injuries. He played for Spurs for five years. His last season was a poor season, 96-97. He only scored seven goals in 29 league games, and people thought he was washed. People thought Teddy Sheringham was finished. He was 32 years of age, 31 years of age. The... Very small amount of pace he'd had, had gone. The partnership between him and Armstrong had slowed down a bit. Armstrong had had some injuries as well. He'd never won anything. 
He was in the same situation as Harry Kane. And United signed him primarily as the replacement for Eric Cantona. And it was seen as almost a bit of a, a joke of a move. People thought Ferguson had lost his mind. But at United, he got a second lease on life. He was very good in the 97-98 season. Was part of the team in the treble winning 98-99 season. Though he missed loads of that season injured. Only played 17 league games. Only scored one goal in Europe that year. But it's the most important goal he ever scored in his career. His last year with United, when people thought he was definitely uber-washed, he was 35, he had a breakout year, scores 21 goals in 43 games, goes back to Spurs, plays two years there, was really good again, and then went to Portsmouth, had three years at West Ham, and finished off at Colchester. He continued to play until he was 42 years of age. Because... He didn't need pace. He didn't need to be able to run. He knew where he was meant to be. He had a picture of the game in his head. And he's just a really, really intelligent player. He was Alan Shearer's best partner for England. 11 goals in 51 games because he was playing that secondary role. Three league titles with United, FA Cup with United, and a Champions League with United. Also helped West Ham get promoted and helped Millwall get promoted. Um... Teddy Sheringham was a great player. Les Ferdinand finished second that year with 20 goals. Uh, Les was an incredibly athletic centre-forward in the old fashion, back-to-goal type, but he was explosive, which was very unusual for the type of centre-forwards we had back then. Only 5'11", but could out-jump any centre-back, could produce immense power, in his shooting from either, from, from any distance. Great on the volley. Phenomenal volleyer of the ball. Had played non-league. Came to QPR at 21. Spent eight years there. Took him a couple of years to establish himself. Had a loan with Besiktas, which is really what kick-started his career. Came back to QPR and was just, was a goal machine for them. From when he first established himself, 8 and 18 in the league, 10 and 23, and then 20 and 37, 16 and 36, 24 in 37, went on to Newcastle, 25 in 37, and 16 in 31. Did win Football of the Year while at Newcastle. In my view, it, it should have gone to McManaman that year, but Les Ferdinand was, was the real deal. Brilliant in the air, like genuinely brilliant in the air. So quick, powerful, just knocked defenders on their backsides. Funnily enough, when Teddy Sheringham went to United, Spurs bought him as the replacement. It didn't work out well from at Spurs for the first few years. Then he did have two decent seasons uh, in 2000-2001 and 0-1-0-2. Then he became a bit of a journeyman. West Ham did well at Leicester. Bad spell at West Ham. Did well at Leicester. 13 goals in 31 games. Uh, played for Bolton, Bolton, played for Reading, signed for Watford, never actually played for them, retired uh, at 40. Was one of my favourite players in the 90s. Liverpool were linked with him 
for years. And the idea was him and Fowler. This is before Owen, obviously, before he went to Newcastle. Him and Fowler. That's perfect. The big guy, he wasn't all that big, but he gave the perception that he was. And the little guy, who wasn't all that little, but played like a small nippy player. And then McManaman, and maybe you bring in, we had, we did bring in Patrick Berger, but yeah, the idea was to bring in a, a winger who could really whip a ball in for someone like Ferdinand. I assume his age is what scared Liverpool off. So we're linked with him for years. Him and Trevor Sinclair were the two. And I always thought Sinclair on the right, McManaman on the left, Fowler and Ferdinand up front, that's really fun. Rob Jones at right back, Redknapp in midfield. You can start to piece things together. Les Ferdinand was was very, very good. Uh, third that year was Dean Holdsworth. I think I've talked about him before. Um, always liked Holdsworth. Played for lesser clubs, you know, smaller Premier League clubs. Uh, really made his name at Brentford, having come through the academy at Watford. Wimbledon is where everybody got to know him. And he was consistently one of the, I don't know if best strikers, but one of the most feared strikers in the league for a couple of years. Um, another one who was pretty late getting a lot of attention in his career. He was like 24, 25 before he really started to make a name for himself. Never got his big move. Tailed off through injury at Wimbledon. Went to Bolton. Did quite well there. But another one that played till 40. Now, he he went the non, non-league route. He dropped down into non-league. Seemed to very much enjoy himself. Uh, playing for the likes of Haven Water, Waterlooville. Uh, Haybridge Swifts. And Newport County before retiring in 2008. Really good player. Not top tier, never capped by England, but always a guy that when you played them, you were worried about them. And then Mickey Quinn, five foot nine tall, five foot nine wide, five foot nine deep. A block of a man, but a very good player. Didn't look like he should have any pace, but had great pace over short distances. Made his name at Wigan, went to Stockport, Oldham, Pompey, Newcastle when they were in the second division. Joined Coventry at the start of the Premier League and scored 17 goals in this first season. It was his best season for Coventry. He wasn't good in the previous, in the following two seasons and he would end up retiring only a couple of years later. He was 30, in fairness, when this season began. This was sort of his the season where he made a name for himself. Uh, if I remember correctly, he's big into horse racing. Uh, am I right with that? Yeah, he covers horse racing now. I think he spoke quite a bit about either having a gambling issue or dealing with people that had gambling issues. He could have played for Ireland, but unfortunately, the uh, the Irish FA, who had previously bent the rules on a couple of players, couldn't find a way to quite manipulate uh, the the family history of Mickey Quinn to get him an Irish passport. Um, he was nicknamed Sumo, which will we'll tell you. Uh, he famously quoted that he was the Premier League's 
fastest player over a yard. I'd give him three yards. I'd say he was lightning over three yards. Um, he entitled his autobiography, Who Ate All the Pies? Because that is what fans used to call him. He's fat, he's round, he scores on every ground, was the chant of his own fans. Uh, Hippophatimus was, was a nickname he had to deal with. Hippophatimus was good. Um, yeah, he used to have stables. That's what it was. So he was actually a trainer and he had to retire it due to it not being financially viable. So yeah, he, he's been involved in horse racing for a long, long time. Um, a fun player. Not, not a great player, but he was fun, especially that year. Um, moving on, 93-94. Andy Cole, top scorer. Shearer second, Letizia third, Chris Sutton fourth, and Ian Wright fifth. Andy Cole, quick, great movement, great instincts in the box, a poacher, but missed quite a few chances. Missed quite a few chances. Missed big chances as well. Colst United the title in his first season there. Uh, he'd come through the Arsenal Academy, hadn't made the grade, went to Bristol, played for Bristol in the first season of the Premier League um, before joining yeah, before joining Newcastle halfway through that year and firing them to promotion with 12 goals in 12 games. In his first season in the Premier League, he scored 34 goals in 40 games in his first season in the Premier League. In the previous seasons, he'd been in the first division, the second division, and the third division in the, the three years previous to that. And he'd stepped up every time and he'd, he'd excelled. He played half the next season with, with Newcastle before joining United, 94-95. I think, I think it's fair to say he cost United the title. He missed a whole bunch of sitters, including on the final day against um, West Ham. That shook his confidence. He was not good for the following Following season, he scored only 11 goals in the league. 96-97, I'm almost certain that's the year he broke his leg or Neil Ruddock broke his leg. But then he came back and then he was really good. And he got 25-45, and 24-50 in the year they won the treble and 22-45 the following season. Started the tail off. Ferguson got the hump with him, binned him off to Blackburn. And he actually did quite well at Blackburn. Uh, he would play for Fulham, Man City, Portsmouth, Birmingham, Sunderland, Burnley, and Nottingham Forest, finally retiring in 2009 at the age of 38. Andy Cole was just a marksman. Didn't have a great England career, only 15 caps, only one goal. But in the Premier League, he was what the kids would call a bagsman. Knew where the goal was, and when he found it, he scored. When he didn't find it, it didn't look so good. Um, there's no real point in getting to Alan Shearer, is there? Everybody knows about Alan Shearer. I don't want to promote Matt Leticia on this podcast, so I'm going to just breeze by him. And we're going to go to Chris Sutton next. Um, made his name with Norwich. Was genuinely a very strange player in those early days. They didn't seem to know whether he was a centre half or a centre forward. He eventually established himself as a centre forward in his third season, his second real season, but his third season, the first team picture, 
scored eight goals in 38 games. The following season, he explodes, which is this season. He gets 25 in 41, and that earns him what was at the time a record transfer to Blackburn. Uh, Five million pounds, British record fee. And him and Alan Shearer were incredible together. They won the league that first season. He scored 15 in the league, 21 in all competitions. The next year, he misses most of the year with injury. Scores one goal. Uh, played 23 games in all competitions, only 13 in the league. And remember, this is a 42-game league season. Um, Blackburn would have played 52, 53 games. He missed about 30 games that year. Only scored one goal. Then he bounced back, 11-25. and 25. 97-98 is best season for Blackburn. 18-35, and 35. Shearer is gone, and he's the main man. He starts the next season in poor form, gets injured, comes back, poor form. And then somehow, and I still don't understand why, Chelsea paid £10 million for him when he was injured, and it appeared declining. Like he was only 26, but it appeared like he'd started to decline, that injuries had taken hold. He was a disaster with Chelsea, but he went on and had a really good time at Celtic, including the 03-04 season when he got 28 goals. Um, him and Henrik Larsson were. Him and Henrik Larsson is the best partnership I've seen at Celtic in my lifetime. Uh, he would play for Birmingham and then join Aston Villa from Birmingham in what was a rather unpopular move before retiring at only 34 after a couple of hard seasons where he just couldn't stay fit. Injuries definitely curtailed Chris Sutton's career. He only won one cap. He deserved a lot more. He's a better player. He was a better player than people give him credit for. Like You see a lot of people dismissing him like, who's Chris Sutton? Chris Sutton was really good. Really, really good. Great in the air. Great hold-up player. Great, A great target man. Because he wouldn't just stand up front against centre-backs. He'd run the channels. He'd move wide, take the ball in, lay it off, get himself into a secondary position. Chris Sutton was very, very good and deserves a bit more love than he gets. Um, again, Ian Wright. I feel like everybody knows about Ian Wright. So we'll move on. 94-95. Uh, I am just going to skip over lads that are, you know, the big names or had prolonged success. So 94, 95, there's no point in talking about Shearer. There's no point in talking about Fowler. We've done Ferdinand. We've done Cole. I assume everybody's aware of the true greatness of Jurgen Klinsmann. The name that stands out here, there's actually, there's actually three of them that I'll do. Um, again, we won't be promoting uh, Matt Letizier, but we'll talk about Stan Collymore who I still think is the most talented English forward I've ever seen. I think Stan Collymore is one of the truly great losses in English football in terms of talent versus production. He should have been a long-time England international. He should have been a guy who played for England 50, 60, 70 times. He got three caps. Him at Forest with Brian Roy... One of the most fun pairings you'll ever see. He was just brilliant. It's forgotten that early in his career, having had to go the non-league route, having been released by Wolves, 
He was at Crystal Palace when they had Ian Wright and Mark Bright and couldn't get in the team. So he went to Southend. He had a really good season there. That earned him the move to Forest. And at Forest, he was just brilliant. He picked the ball up in his own half, 6-2, 6-3, really well built, but incredible dexterity, both feet, just drift his way through people, bounce off defenders, get himself a bit of space on either foot, inside 30 yards. He was working a goalkeeper at least. There's very few players, Matt Letizia would be one, there's very few players that from that era that have a better goal catalogue than Stan Collymore. He scored for fun and he scored worldies. Every week you'd turn on match of the day and Stan Collymore would be scoring a worldie. 22 goals in 37 games in his first Premier League season. Gets the move to Liverpool, 8.5 million, record transfer at the time. First season, he's really good. Him and Fowler click with McManaman. and Liverpool are a force going forward. 19 and 49. Becomes a brilliant facilitator. Like, he takes on... Robbie Fowler is the main goal scorer here, so my job is going to be to score goals, but primarily to facilitate for this guy. And Liverpool already had McManaman. and now you've got the two of them in tandem. They were just tremendous. Liverpool were a great watch in the 95-96 season. His second season was not as good, but not as bad as people make out. He got 16 and 37, but it was more off-field stuff that started to creep in. Frequent lateness, not turning up, a bunch of performances that did stink the place out. But it didn't feel like it had gotten to the point where Liverpool needed to shift him on, but Liverpool decided to shift him on. And they sold him to Aston Villa, and his career just nosedived. Mental health issues and everything else. It's unfortunate for Collymore, but for all his talent, there's there's really there's five very good to very good seasons. Four good to very good seasons in that last season Liverpool. He, he should have been so much more. He should have been so much more. It's such a shame that he had the demons he had. A tremendously gifted player who could do anything with a football. Uh, Uwe Rossler will bring him up purely because he arrived in England in the mid-90s, 94, 95, 96. A bunch of players started to arrive that you hadn't heard of. We'd no internet, no social media, none of that. By the way, is Micah Richards the thickest fellow working in, in football at the moment? I know it doesn't really work in football. He works in television, but he covers football. Have you seen the video of him, Lineker and, and Shearer talking about Blackburn winning the title and the morning of the final game of the season? And Shearer saying, oh, you know, we, we went for a walk. We always went for a walk the morning of the game. Everybody was nervous. And Micah Richards says, now, he wasn't messing. He asked him if he'd gone on social media. In 1995, the absolute thing. Um, Uwe Rossler arrived at Man City, having played in East Germany, having played for East Germany, on trial, no guaranteed contract. He did a couple of very ropey seasons before landing with City. 
does well on the trial, gets a loan. City would eventually turn the loan into a permanent deal. In his first season, which is sort of October on, he scores 12 in 5 and 12, rather, 5 and 12. And then he just finds this vein of form that doesn't replicate anywhere in his career. He gets 22 in 38 in all competitions, 15 and 31 in the league, then 30, uh, sorry, then 13 and 44. City get relegated. He gets 17 and 49 in the championship and then seven and 33 and it all just disappears. And he goes back to the Bundesliga, has one good season with Kaiserslautern and then kind of falls off a cliff. But just the most random thing, this German, East German fella coming over, a little bit of suspicion around him. Why is he here? Who is he? Who are his parents? He's done nothing in his career to to seemingly warrant a move to the Premier League. Has to go on a trial and then a loan while City test him out. And then he just has this breakout season with 22 goals in, in 38 games, which he'd never done before. His highest total prior to that was 11 goals in a season. It was the only season he scored double figures before that 22-goal season. Very, very strange. And then Dean Saunders. I always liked Dean Saunders. I didn't like him at Liverpool. I don't like him as a pundit, but as a player, I always liked him. Uh, Very good for Brighton, for Oxford. Derby is where he really came to prominence. Uh, Liverpool signed him. I, I I assume with the idea that you know him and Rush had played together for the national team, they had good chemistry. It'll bridge the gap to Fowler, who Liverpool knew was was a couple of years away, but was already a demon in the uh, underage levels. He had one season Liverpool. They signed him for significant money, uh, two point nine million, and then they sold him for two point five a year later. He actually. He tells the funniest story I think I've ever heard about Brian Clough. And I I love a story about Brian Clough. Just go on on YouTube and type in Dean Saunders, Brian Clough. I swear to God, it's one of the funniest things you'll ever hear. Um, He was going to go to either Everton or Nottingham Forest. Ended up not joining either of them and joined Liverpool. Didn't do great, did okay. Went on to Villa. Soonest then brought him to Galatasaray, where he did well. He'd done well at Villa. And then he sort of petered out with Nottingham Forest, uh, Sheffield United. Somehow then Soonest decided to sign him for Benfica. And then he ended up at Bradford. Um, retired at 37. Had a good international career for the Welsh with 75 caps and 22 goals. Uh, moving rapidly along to 95-96. Top scorers, Dwight York. Let's pull him up. Let's pull Chris Armstrong and let's pull Andre Konchelsk because I assume everybody knows all they need to know about Eric Cantona. Uh, let's start with Konchelsk. He's one of my favourite players in the early era of the Premier League. Uh, despite the fact that he played for the club, I disliked more than any other Manchester United. He'd arrived at them from Shakhtar Donetsk via Dinamo Kiev and... No, he'd been at the, he was at Dinamo first and then he went to Shakhtar and then he uh, joined United. Played for United for four years. Him right wing, Giggs left wing. United were terrifying. Absolutely terrifying with those two. He was so quick. 
And he had this kind of scampering run that allowed him to change direction really quickly. Gabriel Martinelli reminds me a little bit of him. So direct. Everything is done a million miles an hour. His entire focus when he gets the ball is to get into a shooting position. Both right-footed, but Kinchelskis used to do this from the right-hand side. He'd pick the ball up, he'd skip past his man, and then he'd cut in field, and he'd start running at a centre-back, and he'd wait for them to come to him, and then he'd very simply shift it back to his right foot and lash it across into the bottom corner. Now, he wasn't a prolific goal scorer in his United days, but he always seemed to score. For whatever reason, he just always seemed to score. But when you look at it, he only had two seasons where he scored double figures. And the last season, season, he scored double figures for United in the league with 14 in 30 games. He was a very surprising sale when he joined Everton. But Beckham was coming along and Ferguson had decided to change things up. United losing out in the title, I think, had had upset Ferguson. And I think he just cashed in on Kinchelskis because... He'd had a great year. His contract was coming up. I think he was asking for quite a bit of money, is the story that was that for Ferguson has told. He sold him to Everton for substantial amounts. Was it six million or something? 4.5. 4, 4.5. Um he was very, very good. Very, very good. At Everton, he was great. Scored 16 goals this season, 10 in the final 10 games of the year. He was probably the best right winger in the league that season. The next year then, he had some injury problems and he was never quite the same. Went to Fiorentina, didn't play well. Went to Rangers, it all sort of petered out. It was really disappointing to see his career end the way it did, sort of drifting club to club, played for City, Southampton, Al-Hilal, he went to Saudi before it was cool. Back to Russia. Uh, it it just... Him leaving United after that first season with Everton, it was all kind of downhill from there, which was a shame because he was only 27 at the end of that season. But I always liked him. He was, he was so much fun to watch. Mark Overmars' running style reminded me... Mark Overmars is probably a bit of a... bit too old of a reference for a lot of people as well. I'm trying to think... Who'd be a more modern equivalent? Ansu Fati, actually, the way he moves is quite similar. That low center of gravity doesn't, even though he's like, I think Kachelsk is about 5'9, Ansu Fati's about the same height, but seems even smaller because they have that kind of low center of gravity. They don't run upright and they can change direction really quickly. And Kinchelskis was great at it. Uh, Chris Armstrong. <clears throat> made his name with Wrexham, had a failed spell at Millwall, went to Crystal Palace, established himself as a good Premier League player across two seasons with Palace. And then he had a poor 94-95 season before moving to Spurs, which is where he is in this season. Um, this first season, he was great. Him and Sheringham were brilliant together. He got 22 and 45 in this season in all competitions. He was quite limited technically, but he was rapid. He was lightning in behind and teams couldn't afford to push up against him. He was very, very, in that year, he was very, very good. 
Spurs spent pretty big money to buy him and he was brought in to replace Jurgen Klinsmann, which was sort of... It's the poison chalice. There was no way you were going to replace Klinsmann. Um, but he was very, very good until ankle injuries kind of took hold and hamstring issues. A lot of those players back then who had that explosive speed just couldn't stay fit. When he did stay fit, he was going to be double figures. He played over 30 games, three times the Spurs. He's double figures in all competitions each season. Um, he ended up playing for Bolton and then going back to Wrexham. But Chris Armstrong was a good player. I'm just trying to think of a, of a modern comp for him. Um, let's think. Uh, da, 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 da. Like Ollie Watkins is a bigger, stronger, better in the air, but that kind of pace in behind, similar, like slight lack in the technical side, a little bit of an inconsistent finisher. Darwin Nunes has some similarities in that kind of pace and issues in front of goal at times, but Darwin's a better team player and offers a lot more in the build-up. Anyway, we'll move on to Dwight York. Um, I always wanted us to sign Dwight York. Villa had brought him over from the Caribbean when he was 18. He was very quickly fast-tracked into their first team. And he very quickly established himself as one of the best forwards in the league. Now, he could be inconsistent as a goal scorer. That's absolutely true. But his all-round game was really strong. He was one that could be a nine or a nine and a half. Could be your striker or play off the striker. Seemed more comfortable playing off the striker as he did with Andy Cole at United in that first season together. But his last three years at Villa and his first two United, he was great. Genuinely great. Nimble, skillful, great instincts. Loved to embarrass a defender as well with a little bit of piece of skill. Could dribble, could pass, could do basically everything. A decent pace, super intelligent player. Enjoyed life off the pitch, maybe a little bit too much. But, I mean, look at the career he had. Was very good at Villa, won the League Cup there, won three titles at United and FA Cup. And a Champions League went on, obviously played after United for Blackburn, then Birmingham. Then he went to Australia, uh, won the A-League, and then he finished off at Sunderland when he was, to be fair, completely washed. Uh, we might just take a break here and come back and do 96, 97 through to the end. So we'll see you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So we're into the 96-97 season. Alan Shearer, Ian Wright, Robbie Fowler, Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer we just don't need to talk about because the less Ollie, the better. Dwight York, Les Ferdinand, Fabrizio Ravinelli. Um, only the one season with Middlesbrough. But it was clear from day one he didn't want to be there. And it was also clear that the Premier League couldn't really cope with him. He got a hat-trick on the, on the opening day. He'd go on to score 16 in the league and 31 in all competitions. Helped Middlesbrough get to two finals. Got injured early in one of the finals and insisted on being taken off and kind of scuppered their chances of winning the game. Um, they did get relegated, of course, that year as well. In his 
in his defence, he did stick around the following season until Marseille came in and bought him. And he came back to the Premier League to play with Derby in 2001-2002. The reason he didn't want to be at Borough had nothing to do with Borough so much as he just scored the winner in a European Cup final. And he thought he was going to be sort of a made man at Juventus. But Juve were looking at his age. He was approaching 28 and thinking, it's definitely going to be time to move you on. And they got a big fee. They got seven million, which was huge, huge, huge money back then. Like the world record fee back then was probably what would it have been? Lentini was thirteen. That was two thousand three. Um, transfer fee. Right, let's have a look. So, uh, it was Alan Shearer. It was Alan Shearer that same summer moved for 15 million. But before that, it had been Gianluigi Lentini. And then Ronaldo, the Brazilian one, broke it the following year, going to Inter Milan. Then Danielson broke it the year after that. And then it got broke every year up until Zidane moved. Then it stayed the same. Then Real broke it twice in one summer, Kaka and Cristiano. Then Real broke it again for Bale. Then United broke it for Pogba. And then PSG broke it for Neymar. Hmm. So even though it's only half the world record fee at the time, like, Shearer's move was two million over any other transfer time. Almost certain Ronaldo joined Barca the same summer as Shearer for like thirteen point five or thirteen point six or something. So he would have broken Lentini's record as well, but he moved after Shearer. Um, yeah, lethal left foot, <clears throat> decent pace, not the most technically gifted player in the world, but scored a, a litany of. Outstanding goals uh, for Borough. And to his credit, he did as much as he could to keep them up. It wasn't his fault that the defence was an absolute train wreck. Uh, other players that season, Dion Dublin. What a, what a shout. Uh, Dion Dublin was one of those players who could play centre-back or centre-forward equally well. Preferred to play centre-forward. And that's where he had most of his success. Came through, it came... well. He, He'd been in the academy at Norwich, hadn't made the grade, gone to Cambridge and excelled there, earned a move to United, broke his leg early on at United, didn't quite recover, never got any opportunities, went to Coventry and for Coventry, for four years in the mid-90s, Dion Dublin was excellent, genuinely excellent. Um, 13, 14, 13 and 18 goals in four successive seasons. The following year, he moved mid-season to Villa. He got 12, and he got 12 again after that. So, you know, he wasn't your primary poacher type. He's more that target man that you'd play someone up, off. But he could do the job. Uh, In 97-98, which is the next season after that, he won the Golden Boot, or he shared the Golden Boot with two others. But Dion Dublin was a a good player. Um, And like I say, could play centre-back. 
if needed, and was good at centre-back, was genuinely a good centre-back, might have even had a better career if he'd played centre-back his entire career. Because there wasn't as many good centre-backs around for England, and he might have gotten more than the four caps he got uh, playing as a striker. Uh, Lastly in that season, Steve Claridge. Steve Claridge was the epitome of a football journeyman. And yet, and the, the Premier League was always a step above his level of ability. And yet he managed to have a decent career in the Premier League with Leicester for a couple of years. He played for Farham Town, Bournemouth, Weymouth, Crystal Palace, Aldershot, Cambridge, Luton, Cambridge, Birmingham, Leicester, Portsmouth, Wolves, Portsmouth, Millwall, Weymouth, Brighton, Brentford, Wickham, Millwall, Gillingham, Bradford, Walsall, Bournemouth, Worthing, Harrow Borough, Weymouth, Gosford Borough, and then he retired and came back to play one game for Salisbury when he was the manager there. And I assumed they were short of players and he had to tug out. Um... He won the League Cup in 1997 with Leicester City in what is the pinnacle of his career. And not only that, he scored the winning goal in extra time of the replay against Middlesbrough with Fabrizio Ravinelli and Janino and Emerson, that kind of star-studded, dross-filled team. He scored the winning goal. He won the cup for Leicester City. And when you look at his career and what a journeyman he was and how he played a year here, two years there, rarely stuck anywhere. The longest spell of his career was with Weymouth from 1985 to 88. He was there three years. Everywhere else, he was a year or two. He used to work as a fruit and veg man for most of his career because he'd done it when he was playing amateur football and he wanted to keep his hand in and make sure he had like a way of bringing in money if football ever went away. He was a very honest, very down-to-earth type of player who knew that he had a responsibility to put money in the bank, put food on the table, clothes on people's back, Fair play to him. Fruit and veg man. Didn't like fennel. I don't know why I know that. I remember reading an interview with him. This is the type of stupid stuff I remember. I remember reading an interview with him in like 442 or something years and years ago while he was still playing. And they were talking about the fruit and veg thing. And he was talking about how he loves all types of fruit and veg. But he wasn't a fan of fennel. But he'd still eat it. But he wasn't a fan of it. That I don't know why I remember. That's That... Serves me no purpose in life to know that. And yet I do know. Um, you, my head is it infuriates me. Uh, on to 97, 98 then. Uh, we've got Dion Dublin, Michael Owen and Chris Sutton sharing the golden boot. Dennis Burkamp and Kevin Gallagher. Scottish winger slash striker. Played for Coventry, played for Blackburn, was part of the Blackburn squad that won the league was an important part, could play 
up front with either Shearer or Sutton, could play wide. I'm wrong. He wasn't an important part of the team that won the league because he didn't play that year. He played one game, scored one goal and got injured. He's right. He broke his leg, came back and broke his other leg. Missed the whole season. It was the following year when he had a real impact. And then he ended up becoming quite a good player for them. Him and Sutton together, when Shearer left, were actually very good. And this is this season. He gets uh, 16 and 33. And Sutton got 18 in whatever amount he played. So between them, they got 34 goals. Nippy player, really nippy player. Not the biggest, not the strongest, but clever. Had played for Dundee and made his name there. Uh, after Blackburn, he went to Newcastle, who seemed obsessed with signing players from Blackburn, Preston, Sheffield Wednesday, and then Huddersfield uh, before retiring uh, at the age of 36. 53 caps for Scotland, nine goals. Blackburn paid one and a half million when Shearer got injured. Shearer got hurt just after going there, like his first season there, and they signed him. He did pretty well to begin with. I think his first season there, he got eight goals, and then he gets injured a bunch the second season, and then from there, it just wasn't to be in terms of success. But Kevin Gallagher was a good player. Uh, Who else do we have from that season? Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. I mean, Jimmy Floyd is he might have had the strongest weak foot ever. Jimmy Floyd could absolutely launch the ball with either foot. Incredibly powerful player. Very strong arse. Uh, could stick it out into players and make them bounce off him. Only 5'10", but he was a nightmare for centre-backs to deal with. Came to the Premier League first with Leeds, which is where he is here. Scored a bunch of goals. Got sold to Atletico Madrid, came back with Chelsea, scored a bunch of goals, went to Borough, scored a decent amount of goals, played for Cardiff, or played for Charlton and then Cardiff um, before retiring and going into management. He was last manager of Burton Albion. Jimmy Floyd was very good. When he first came to Newcastle, or to to Leeds, I remember being very jealous. Um, His name was cool. Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank was just a cool name, but he was a really good player. Not the type that would sustain pace over long distance, but over 10 yards, centre-backs couldn't cope with him. And he could just get his shot away from anywhere. All he needed was a sight of goal, and he was just letting fly. He wasn't worried about, oh, you might close me down. He was like, if you close me down and this hits you, it's going to hurt. So I'm just going to let it fly. Really good player. Uh, John Hartson, another one in this season. Should have been more than he was, is my definitive take on John Hartz. Now, he's great for Celtic, and I really appreciated him at Celtic. But he came through at Luton. Arsenal signed him very young, paid like two and a half million. It was far too early for him to go there. They sold him on to West Ham. West Ham had also signed Paul Kitson. The Kitson and Hartson pairing should have worked a lot better. He... He had a bad temper and he got himself in trouble. He kicked Dial Berkovich in the face very famously. Um, 
in a, in a training session. And for whatever reason, he just couldn't get out of his own way. He ended up going to Wimbledon for seven and a half million in 99 and just couldn't stay fit. It was a big swing by Wimbledon to spend that type of money, like a massive, massive deal. Because you'd always gotten used to Wimbledon signing like some lad from Norway for like 300 grand or some fella from non-league for 150 grand or whatever. Someone off the scrap heap maybe going there a little bit late in their career. And then they went big on John Hartson, who at the time was 24 years of age. Like he's already been at Luton, at Arsenal, at West Ham. He's 24 joining Wimbledon. Just couldn't stay fit. When he did stay fit, he scored goals. But he just couldn't get fit. They got relegated with him there. He left after half season, joined Coventry, and then was sold on again when Coventry got relegated, I think, on to Celtic. And he did really well with Celtic. Him and Sutton together were really good. And when it was him, Sutton, and, and uh, Henrik Larsson, they were a, a big, big problem for teams. Unfortunately, you know, was diagnosed with cancer later in life, but um, I say later in life, he's only, what is he, 50? 40, still only 48. Uh, he was diagnosed with cancer in 09, so 14 years ago, m- mid-30s. Mid-30s. He was only a year out from playing Thankfully, he made a full recovery. Um, I don't mind him as a pundit. I don't think he's offensive. But I, I think when he gives his opinion in depth, I think he's quite good. Um, yeah. Should have been more. Should have been more. Because that type of striker at that time, because he, was, he wasn't just a big lump. Like, he was quick. He had good agility. Good technique, but for whatever reason, just couldn't stay out of his own way and then started to have injury problems. Uh, I mentioned Paul Kitson, might as well just talk about Paul Kitson very quickly. He had been with Derby and really done very well with Derby. Um, earned a move to Newcastle, was kind of a squad player at Newcastle for a few years, in and out of the team. Got the move to West Ham, I think they paid two million for him. About two million uh, at the same time, and like that should have been a really good partnership. Two point three million. Him as a nippy poacher in the box, and then Hartson as that kind of bigger target man. It should have worked. It should have worked, but it didn't. Such a shame. Uh, last one for this year, Paolo Wanchop. You, you probably have more of a remembrance of Noanku Kanu, who, very similar player. Tall, gangly, outrageous control of the ball. Didn't always seem to know what he was going to do next. But when Derby brought him in from Costa Rica, he was just completely different to everything else. And he would go on these long, dribbly runs. He, like a little bit like Gakpo. In terms of the build, the upright nature, but less controlled than Gakpo. More of a street footballer than Gakpo. Um, did very well with Derby. Did okay with West Ham. Was very good for Man City. And then moved on to Malaga and went to play in the Middle East and then ended up in South America. Then played in the US with Chicago Fire to end his career. 73 caps for Costa Rica. Pelo Wanchop was just fun. 
He just was. He was a fun player to watch. And when he came into the Premier League, he was a bit of an oddity because he's from Costa Rica. And who, like, who's from Costa Rica? We've, we've never heard of footballers from Costa Rica. Once he got his run in the team, he was just really, really good. And he had five straight seasons with double figures in all competitions, including one where he only played 18 games. Um, had some injuries when he was at City and, and 40, that sort of torpedoed his career. He was still quite young. He was only, was he 29, 26 when he started to get injuries, which is so unfortunate, but very, very good player. Um, knee problems. That is 97, 98. We will finish off then with 98, 99. Jimmy Floyd, Michael Owen, Dwight York, Nicholas and Elke. There's no point. Actually, Chris Armstrong was like a poor man's Nicholas and Elke. Less skillful, but the same skill set. Uh, Andy Cole, Hamilton Rickard. We'll do a bit of Hamilton Rickard. We'll do a bit of Julian Jochum. And we'll do a little bit of Darren Huckerby. Because I always liked Darren Huckerby for some reason. Dreadful hair, but I always liked him. Um, he's the academy coach at Norwich now. He he seemed to be like, if you sell Robbie uh, Robbie Keane, you buy him for a little while. Or maybe it, was the other, maybe it was the other way around. Was it the other way around? It might have been the other way around. But if you sold him, you bought Robbie Keane. Quite a similar player to Robbie Keane. Bit more hustle and bustle about him. Uh, very good as a second striker, not so much as your out and out number nine. Um, had been at Newcastle, didn't make the grade, went to Coventry, was really good at Coventry. Him and Dion Dublin were really good together. Then he went to Leeds. It didn't work from at Leeds for whatever reason. He never developed chemistry with the likes of Viduka and Kuhl. Did pretty well at City. Uh, had a couple of loans then, Forrest and Norwich. And then spent five years at Norwich and was a constant problem when you played against them because he had that habit of just harassing centre-backs and running them down and forcing them into errors. And he was quite an unselfish player on the ball as well as the work he'd do off the ball. Um, Yeah, Darren Huckerby, good player. Julian Joachim is one of those that should have been more than what he is. I talked about Julian recently, uh, how he only stopped playing a couple of years ago He's now 49 and he only stopped playing like four or five years ago. Um, went the non-league route after breaking through, like exploding through at Leicester and looked like he was, him and Fowler were the two best young strikers in England at the time. Didn't quite reach the level he was expected to. Went to Villa, played pretty well for Villa for a time. Went to Coventry, had a failed stint at Leeds and that was sort of the bulk of his career, but he was only 31 at that point and he would have like 14 years left of playing non-league. Dropped down, took no ego into the non-league game and just went and played his football. And credit to him, I think it's great that he did that because it would have been very easy for him to just say, no, I, I've, you know, I'm a Premier League caliber player. I'm not going to do it. He did retire at 37 and came back two years later because he was bored and he missed the game. But I always liked Julian Jochum. Really fun, explosive player. Michael Obafemi is similar enough to Julian Jochum. Uh, and last but not least, Hamilton Rickard. 
um, who was another one of these kind of oddities that arrived over in the mid the mid to late 90s. Now, we knew a lot more about Colombian players, obviously, because of people like Valderrama, because of people like Espria. But players didn't come from Colombia to Middlesbrough, to the Premier League. And there's a story here that when he actually signed for Borough, he signed his name on a napkin because Borough didn't bring any documents with them because, I don't know, they were running some sort of circus at Middlesbrough under Brian uh, Brian Robson. But a very good player. A very good player. Questionable behaviours off the pitch. Uh, A very unfortunate car accident that ended up with somebody dying and he left the scene. That was a year after he left Borough. But when he came to Borough, he had that little settling in spell in the championship. In In his first season in the Premier League, though, he gets 15 in 36. The next year, 12 in 34. And then he fell off. And he was never quite the same after that. But he was like, just he kind of what you expect from a South American striker, like hardworking, graft, needle, constant mouthing at the referee, constant mouthing at opponents, good technical ability. When he was engaged and focused and on, Hamilton Rickard was really good. Unfortunately, like with many others that we've been through, didn't become what he should have become was bounced from Borough at 27 after two bad seasons. And his career just sort of petered out. He became a bit of a journeyman, spent some time in Uruguay, spent some time in China, um, went to Chile for a while, and then finished off back in his homeland of Colombia, 27 caps and five goals. Uh, Is there anyone of interest in the 99-2000 season, given it starts in the 90s, That might be worth a look. Michael Bridges and Kevin Phillips would be the two here. Uh, There's also Stefan Armstrong and and Niall Quinn. We'll save them for another day. We'll do 2000s bagsmen at another point. But um, Michael Bridges, Kevin Phillips, Stefan Everson, Niall Quinn, these guys will all have to be talked about. So we'll leave it there. Uh, That's all I have for today because I don't know what the news or gossip will be on Wednesday. Because it is Tuesday where I am in the past. Nostalgic. See you. T- oh, I won't see you tomorrow. I'll see you Friday. Take care of yourselves. Bye bye. Podcast Network.